If you have your Bible with you today, I'd like you to open with me to the Gospel of Luke. We'll be in Luke chapter 23, and we will pick up right where we left off last time in verse 26. Luke chapter 23 and verse 26, and today we are finishing Jesus' Passion Week. Now, he's come a long way in his life. We've, we've been covering this for uh, quite a long time, and you know that he has done nothing but good. He's gone out, he's, he's healed people, he's worked miracles, he has, uh, he has raised the dead, he has uh, healed the sick, he has brought sight to the blind, he has caused the lame to be able to walk. I mean, he's done all kinds of wonderful things, and many people loved him for that. But also many people hated him and wanted him dead. And that seems kind of counterintuitive, but of course the reason for that is because, as the Bible says, uh, people love darkness rather than light. And so they, uh, they, they, their deeds were evil and they hated him because he exposed them for who they are and, 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 and he brought conviction of sin and so forth. And so they, they, they sought to put him to death. And even one of his own uh, disciples was not an actual Christian. He was not a convert. Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus and, uh, and, and led to his arrest. And of course, you know the, the story. Jesus was arrested. He was tried in a kangaroo court. It was not a fair trial. It was all a big setup. And so they, they, they got him sentenced to death by Pilate, and that's where we pick up in the story of Jesus. Now, again, it ends just like last week on a dark note. It, it ends on even a darker note than last week, because last week he was getting ready to be crucified. Today, whenever we finish, he's going to be in the grave. But, again, we know the rest of the story. That is not where it ends, thank the Lord. Uh, but we'll pick up in Luke 23, and if you're able to, I'd like you to stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 26 and read down through the rest of the chapter. Speaking of Jesus, it says, When they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country, and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. (coughs) But Jesus, turning to them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, Stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren, and the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others also, who were criminals, were being led away to be put to death with him. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right and the other on the left. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves, and the people stood by looking on. And even the rulers were sneering at him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if this is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine, and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. Now there was also an inscription above him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were, who were hanged there was hurling abuse at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save, us and your, save yourself and us. But the other answered and rebuking him, said, Do you not even fear God, since you are under the same condemnation, <clears throat> the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly, for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, Today you shall be with me in paradise. It was now about the sixth hour, and darkness fell over the whole land until the ninth hour, because the sun was obscured, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus, crying out with a loud voice, said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. Now when the centurion saw what what had happened, he began praising God, saying, Certainly this man was innocent. 
And all the crowds who came together for the, spe- for the spectacle, when they observed what had happened, began to return, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who accompanied him from Galilee were standing at a distance, seeing these things. And a man named Joseph, who was a member of the council, a good and righteous man, he had not consented to their plan and action. A man from Arimathea, a city of the Jews, who was waiting for the kingdom of God, this man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. And he took it down and wrapped it in a linen cloth and laid him in a tomb cut into the rock where no one had ever lain. It was the preparation day, and the Sabbath was about to begin. Now the women who had come with him out of Galilee followed and saw the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and perfumes, and on the Sabbath they rested according to the commandment. Thank you. You may be seated. Now the first thing I want you to see today is the coming judgment. The coming judgment. Now, Luke does not record this, but uh, prior to the crucifixion, Pilate had Jesus scourged. That, that was a horrible beating in and of itself. I mean, uh, history records times when the Romans would scourge people and, and, and it would leave their bones bare. I mean, it was, it was a, a terrible uh, a beating that he endured. He was losing tons of blood. And then they sent him off to the crucifixion. Now, if you look at verse 26, they made Jesus carry his, his cross to the place of the crucifixion. This is not unique to Jesus. This is something that they made condemned criminals do. It's kind of like uh, digging your own grave or, or uh, uh, it almost be like uh, building your own electric chair. I mean, they had to take their own uh, instrument of crucifixion to the place of death. Now, Jesus was, was carrying his cross, but he was physically unable to continue because of this severe beating that he'd had and, and because of the blood loss. And so they, uh, they, they had a law on the land amongst the Romans that they could conscript anybody to carry a load that they wanted to. That's actually behind Jesus' teaching. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks about if, if somebody compels you to go one mile, you go two, and so forth. That's, that's behind that command. And so they, they grab this guy that's coming in out of the country. We don't know anything about this man. Um, he, he was just coming in out of the country. He's probably a, a, a big guy uh, because they, they chose him over, over everybody else. He's just coming in out of the country. Uh, likely he, was, he, he wasn't there to see the crucifixion. Maybe he's just passing through the crowd. But anyway, they, they grab hold of him. They seize him, the Bible says, and they make him carry the cross of Christ behind him. Now, this is not the main point of the text, but I, I like to try and connect some dots in the, in the Bible for you if I can. And so I, I want to pause here for just a moment because Mark fifteen twenty one records this same instance. And Mark says that uh, they, they grab Simon of Cyrene, and then he says that they, he is the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now, he doesn't make any other comment besides that. The implication is everybody that read Mark's gospel originally would know who Alexander and Rufus are. Now, Paul in Romans 16.13 mentions a man named Rufus, and he calls him a choice man of God. So evidently, this, this, this Alexander and Rufus, these, these brothers, are well known in the church, quite possibly this is who Paul's referring to in Romans 16:13. He doesn't give a lot of details either. He just mentions him by name. So we can't say for certain, but I think it's probable, if not at the very least possible, that Simon of Cyrene, if he was not a follower of Christ before this, became one after this experience of carrying the cross of Christ to Golgotha. And, and he believed, and so did he in his household. 
anyway, that, that, those are just some, some dots. We don't know anything for certain on that, but, but, but that is an interesting uh, possibility. Anyway, as he's going along, some women in the crowd, not his followers from Galilee, but some women in the crowd are lamenting. He had, he had people who were sympathetic to him. They were weeping. They were, they, were, they were crying. They were sad. They were grieving for him. And even in the midst of his pain and the suffering and, and agony he was about to experience, if you'll notice, he turns and he gives them a prophecy. Look at verse 31. He, he, he says that there are days coming that are going to be so bad that people will wish they were dead. He's talking about the destruction of Jerusalem. He said, days are coming when, when people wish that mountains would crush them, that the hills would cover them up. He said, days are coming, which, which is going to be a bad, bad time. And then verse 31, he gives a, a figure of speech, a, a proverb, if you will, that, that's been variously understood. Look at what it says in verse 31. He says, for if they do these things when the tree is green, what will happen when it is dry? And the meaning seems to be that Jesus is like a green tree. Now, if you've ever burnt wood, you know that green trees don't burn very well. It's the dry stuff that burns. And it's, it's, I believe he's saying that, that he's like this green tree, not fit for burning, and yet if they will treat an innocent man who's done nothing but good, if they will treat a man like that in this way, when he's the green tree, when he's not fit for, for, for being treated like this, how much worse is it going to be for Jerusalem, which is the dry wood? The Jerusalem, which has judgment stored up for itself. Jerusalem, which is, which is treating this innocent man like this. They're guilty. They are dry wood. He says, if this is the way it is now, you just, you just wait until, uh, until judgment's brought down on Jerusalem. People wish they were dead. And we know from history that, that, uh, that, that hundreds of thousands of people did die during this, this destruction of Jerusalem. People were eating their kids. I mean, it, it was a terrible, terrible time. And Jesus prophesied about that even in his last moments on earth. Next, I want you to see the mocking multitudes. The mocking multitudes. If you look at verses 33 and following, they, they get Jesus to, uh, to Golgotha, or your Bible may say Calvary, and there they crucify him. Now Luke doesn't give a lot of details about crucifixion. He doesn't say this is what they did, and then this, and then this, and then this. He didn't have to because everybody at the time knew what crucifixion was. It was a, it was a barbaric form of execution the Romans perfected, and its, it, its main purpose was to extend the suffering of the person condemned. That was the whole reason, and there, I mean, we read about Jesus, uh, you remember in, I believe it's John's Gospel, uh, Joseph of Arimathea comes to Pilate and says, can I have the body of Christ? And Pilate says, he's dead already? And he sends the centurion to look, and you remember that's, uh, he, he, was, he was surprised. And the reason for that is because many times these people who were crucified stayed on the cross for days. They would stay on the cross for days at a time. And so... Uh, I mean, the birds would be coming down and, and pecking at them and stuff, and they couldn't do anything about it. It was a terrible form of suffering. And the pain was so extreme, and I mentioned this a couple weeks ago, but I didn't give you the word, um, but, but it was so terrible that they had, to have, they had to make a whole new word to describe the pain and agony that came with crucifixion. We still use the word today. It's excruciating. It means out of the cross. And so, so even as they nailed the Lord of glory to this rough tree, even as they raised him up in shame and ridicule before the people, he interceded for his killers. He says, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. They knew he was innocent, but they didn't understand the magnitude of what was happening. 
Now again, I want to connect some dots because Isaiah 53, 12 says in part, He was numbered with the transgressors, they're the two thieves, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Jesus prayed for those who were killing him. Now I want you to look at verses 34 and following. And I want you to to see the indignity and, and the ridicule that he endured. Look at verse 34. It says, They cast lots for his clothes. In other words, he was crucified either completely naked or almost naked. He didn't, he didn't even have, have the dignity of clothing. Now again, this is a side note, but, but their casting lots fulfilled a prophecy. Psalm twenty two eighteen, 18. And then the rulers of the people began to sneer at him and began to mock him. And they began to say, well, this man claims to be the chosen one of God. And yet he, he says that he can save others and yet he can't save himself. Now, of course, the irony is if he had saved himself, he couldn't have saved others. Because it was his death that saved them. And, and you, can, you can just hear the mocking tone of these men. And then the soldiers, if you look at verse 36, they began to mock him as well. It says, The soldiers also mocked him, coming up to him, offering him sour wine. Now what sour wine is, or was, is they had grape juice, and they would ferment it, and it would turn into wine. But then, if they didn't drink that wine quickly enough, it would continue to sour, it continued to ferment, and it would turn into basically vinegar. And Roman soldiers would have jugs, basically jugs of vinegar, that they would drink. Now listen, you know you're tough if vinegar is what you drink. And that's what these guys would drink. They had it with them all the time. And so they offer this to Jesus. And it seems to be if, if, this, if this offering of the sour wine to Jesus was part of the mocking, it, it seems to be they were probably offering it to him like, like you'd offer a drink to a king. Here, Highness, you know, uh, some, something like that. We do know for, for certain, they said, if, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. They were mocking the same way that the Jewish leaders were. And then on ver- in verse 39, on top of all that, one of the criminals who was hanged with him, who, who, was, who was being crucified at the same time Jesus was, he began to mock him too. He began to say, you know what, if, if, if you're the Christ, why don't you save yourself and why don't you save us too? He was not honestly seeking salvation because if he would have, Jesus would have responded and saved him. But this man was mocking him. He was, he was verbally abusing Jesus. He was scoffing at him. So basically, everybody around Jesus is ridiculing him, is mocking him, is making fun of him, is scoffing at him. Third, I want you to see in verse 40, the repenting thief. The repenting thief. So one of the two criminals is verbally abusing Jesus. The other one begins to defend him. Look at what he says. He says, do you not even, verse 40, do you not even fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed are suffering justly for we are receiving what we deserve for our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. In other words, he's saying, friend, you need to take stock of your spiritual life. You need to, you need to be thinking about what's, what's going on in your life. Because he's saying, you know what? In a few hours, you're going to be standing before God. You're on the cross. You're not going to make it out of this one. You need to be paying attention and you need to be considering your relationship with the Lord. Now he says, that, that he says, don't you fear God? I mean, we're under the same condemnation that this man is. That quite possibly, these guys were in league with Barabbas. They were all going to be crucified at the same time. Remember, Barabbas was, 
was a, a guy that that had uh, that, that had killed people, and he had he had tried to lead a, an uprising against Rome. And yet, here's this innocent man that had taken Barabbas' place, and he says, "We're in the same condemnation. We're getting the, we're getting what we deserve. This man's done nothing wrong. You need to figure out. You need to take stock of your life. You need to fear God because." One day, you're going to stand before God, and it's not going to be sometime off in the future. It's going to be today. It's going to be in just a few hours. And if you know that your end is coming, you take stock of your life. And listen, we would do well if we would do the same thing. We don't know how many hours we have. It may be just a few like this thief on the cross. It may be many. It may be years. We don't know. But the fact of the matter is, we're going to stand before God, same as that thief on the cross did. And just like this man... Uh, that, that believed as he hung on the cross, we need, to, we need to take stock of our spiritual life. We need to figure out how are we stand before God, and we need to make it right if we're not right with God. We need to believe on the Lord Jesus. Now, this man, unnamed in Scripture, we don't know anything about him except he's a criminal, and he trusts Christ. That's all that we know. Look at verse 42. He says, Remember me when you come in your kingdom. He's putting faith in Jesus. Listen, that's the same way that, you, that, that you're saved today. It's not by good works. It's not by baptism. It's not by church attendance. It's not by any of those things. It's by trust in Christ alone. That's what this man did. And you'll, you'll notice Jesus' response. He said, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. What an answer. This very day, not some long time in the future, not after soul sleep, today you will be with me personally in paradise, the place of the blessed dead. And listen, the same is true today. If, if you will believe on the Lord Jesus, if you'll trust Him as your Savior, you will one day be with Him in heaven. Fourth, I want you to see the opening way. The opening way. Look at verse 44. It was about the sixth hour. That, that, that means it was about noon. When the sun should have been the highest, should have been the brightest, about noon, darkness fell over the whole land until about 3 o'clock in the afternoon. There's no natural explanation for this. It wasn't an eclipse because this was happening during the full moon, and that's when the sun is opposite the moon. So the moon was not obscuring the sun in some way. This was a supernatural act. It was a supernatural darkness. You remember what Jesus had said in Luke twenty-two fifty-three? He said, This hour and the power of darkness are yours. And there as he hung on the cross, and as he was nearing the end of his life, the darkness was visible. I mean, it was a dark day. Jesus came to bring life. He came to bring salvation. And people crucified him for it. Now look at verse 45. The sun was obscured. But that's not all that happened. The veil of the temple was torn in two. Now the veil of the temple, you remember, I've talked about this before, but the temple is not just one building. It was a whole complex. There were courts where people, you know, there was the court of the Gentiles and then the court of the women and, and so on and so forth. And each each step closer that you got each each courtyard that you got closer to the holy of holies fewer and fewer people could get there and finally in the holy of there there was the holy place that the priests did their ministry but then there was the holy of holies and you had to to to, to get from one to the other there was this big huge thick curtain that separated the two and only the high priest could go into the holy of holies and that only one time a year and the bible says that when jesus was on the cross the veil was torn, that, that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place, that was torn from top to bottom. It wasn't an act of man, it was an act of God. It came from the top down. 
And, and the Bible says that, that, that now the way is open to all who believe to have access to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through uh, some, some formal ministry. We can access God directly. Hebrews 10 says that now we have confidence to enter into God's presence by the blood of Jesus, verse 20, by a new and living way which he inaugurated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Just as his flesh was torn, that veil was torn. And because his flesh was torn, because of the blood of Christ, we now have access to the presence of God. Then verse 46, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed this last. Now that was not the way people died on the cross. I mean, this is the only one that, we, that we're familiar with, so we think everybody died that way. That's not the way people died. Because the way that you died on the cross was actually through suffocation. Because you couldn't raise yourself up and, and eventually carbon dioxide would accumulate in your lungs and you would suffocate as you're out there in the, in the open air. People died with a whimper. But Jesus died with a shout. It, it was a shout of a trust. It, it was a shout of victory. It was a shout of control. His life was not taken from him. He says, I have the power to lay it down and the, and the power to take it back up. And that's exactly what he did. He breathed his last, the, the, the King James renders it, he gave up the ghost. He chose when his earthly body would die. And when all things had been fulfilled, he yielded up the spirit. And when he saw all the events, especially the way this man died, the captain of the guard, the, the centurion, Look at this man, and, and again, he proclaimed Jesus' innocence. That's one of the things that you see all in Luke's gospel. Innocent, innocent, innocent. The thief on the cross, what did he proclaim? He's innocent. The centurion, he's innocent. The last thing I want you to see are the grieving disciples. The grieving disciples. Now, Jesus' acquaintances, uh, the, 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 the ladies who followed him out of Galilee, they, they were seen at a distance. They saw all these things. And no doubt their world was turned upside down. They were, they, they, they were shook up. They had traveled with him. They had ministered with him. They had heard the teachings. They had, they had believed on him. And their world was suddenly crumbling down around them. And then one of Jesus' secret disciples, Joseph of Arimathea, he couldn't stay a secret disciple for long. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. Either, if you try to be a secret disciple, either the secret will destroy the discipleship or the discipleship will destroy the secret. You can't stay a secret disciple. And, and he didn't stay a secret disciple. The Bible says he was part of the Sanhedrin who had actually condemned Jesus. But he didn't agree to what they were doing. It was not a unanimous decision. He had voted against it. He had not consented. But he went and he got the body of Jesus to give it a proper burial. And he laid it in his own grave they had carved some time before, and the women who had followed with Jesus followed again, and they saw where Jesus was laid. They, they, the Bible says they went home to prepare spices to anoint his body after the Sabbath. Notice they did not go home to make banners and a welcome back sign. They went home to prepare. They, they, they didn't go home and spread the word in, on, on Sunday, Jesus is coming back. On Sunday, Jesus will rise from the dead, come with us. They didn't do any of that because they didn't understand what Jesus had said. They were grief-stricken. They were discouraged. They were confused. They had given up hope. And it wasn't just them. All of Jesus' followers had given up hope. They'd abandoned hope. They didn't understand 
that Jesus would rise again. He had told them they didn't get it. Now listen, we try to downplay sin. We sugarcoat sin. We rename sin. We'll blame sin on somebody else. We, we do all these different things today, and we don't recognize the sinfulness of sin. But unless you think that sin is not that big of a deal and that God doesn't really care that much about it, you need to look again at the cross. Sin is such a serious matter that only could be that they could only be remedied by the death of the Son of God. That's how serious it is. And today, if you would do just like that, just like that thief on the cross, if you would believe on Christ and trust in Him, what He did on the cross would be applied to you. And when you die, you will be with Him in paradise. You'll be with Him in heaven. You'll be saved. You'll be forgiven. And if you've never done it, won't you now trust Christ? Believe the gospel. The gift of salvation is offered to all without cost. Maybe you've done that. Maybe you're a Christian. Listen, you have loved ones, you have friends, you have coworkers who are not believers. Pray for that person in just a little bit. Pray that God would save them. Pray that they would have eyes to see and ears to hear. And while you're praying, it might not be a bad idea to, to thank God for the gift of salvation that's been offered to you because you didn't deserve it either. Once you stand with me as a musician comes, and as you stand, I ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. If nobody looking around, I want to encourage you again to take stock of your spiritual life. Has there ever been a point in time when you have repented of your sin? Has there ever been a point in time when you have put your faith in Christ? Call of the gospel is that you are a sinner, but God extends to you the, the, the offer of salvation. If you will trust in Christ alone, you will be saved. He told people, those who come to me all in no wise cast out. Here was the thief on the cross. He was a bad guy. He broke the laws of God and men. He came to Christ. He wasn't cast out. He'll not cast you out either. He'll not refuse you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we um, we thank you for the offer of salvation. We thank you that it's free to us, but we know it's free because Christ paid for it all. And Lord, if there's somebody who's hearing this message, I, I pray that they would take true stock of their spiritual life. Pull back the scales from their eyes and let them see their true spiritual condition and let them get saved today. God, we lift up our friends and our loved ones, our co-workers that 
that don't know you and ask that you'd work in their lives. And God, thank you for your amazing grace that has saved sinners like us who didn't deserve it. Thank you again for the reason that we celebrate Easter. In Jesus' name, amen.